few geek freaks. Today we are enjoying our second week of our vacation. But we have another greatest hits for you. And this time we're going over some of our classic interviews. This episode in particular, we're going to be pulling in some of our earliest interviews, sharing them here back when we used to do a small interview at the end of the show and kind of giving you a catch up on what these creators are doing. Some of them have moved on to bigger projects. Others are expanding the world they're already building. It's fascinating to watch this passion carry through into their future progress. The first interview I'm bringing you today is from 2019. It's my conversation with Alex Shoemaker. He's a comic book writer uh, who had two main comic books at the time. Since then, he's expanded Mr. Butterchips, one of his mainstays. Uh, that book has now come to its conclusion. Uh, he's also got a brand new novel that's in the works. It's coming out in 2023. I'm sure we'll have him on the show to discuss that. He has other projects and other books. I've bought in quite a few of them. I even commissioned art from Alex. Uh, he's even done some artwork for my local bookstore. I didn't realize that until I saw him post it on Twitter. I was like, oh, I know that place. <laughs> and went over there to check it out. Uh, Alex has been very dedicated to his work and has only gotten better over time. So after you listen to this, please follow him on Twitter, guys. It's at AJ Shoemaker Art. Uh, and he's always worth the follow. He's a very interesting character to uh, follow and see the progress of an independent comic book artist and writer at work. It's very, very interesting. Well, here's our interview. Two your your comic book strips that I've been reading is Decades of Inexperience and Mr. Butter Chips. And uh, I just got to say, man, those are excellent pieces of work. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, those are those are my two main uh, ongoing works right now. So any kind feedback like that is appreciated. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can you do us a favor and kind of break down a little bit of what each of these projects are about? Yeah, absolutely. So Decades of Inexperience uh, sort of started out as illustrated flash fiction. It was in a period where I had these delusions of grandeur where I was going to be a prose author. And so I was just kind of getting back into illustrating as well. And the first couple of years, because of that, are more like illustrated flash fiction. But then I, I gravitated more and more back towards comics, as I always have. And so starting with the third year, it was just an outright comic strip or a week, weekly web comic. And the right. basis behind it is just, it, it's semi-autobiographical. It's sort of catharsis for me to write about things that have happened to me. But as I've gone along, we're now in the fourth year. And I realized it's also kind of a way to hold myself accountable because it talks about some kind of unsavory things, untowards things that that I've done and people have done. And things like addiction and uh, misogyny and, you know, even if it's casual and you don't realize you're doing it, things like that. So I've, I've realized that it's a way to hold myself accountable, which has been really interesting to sort of analyze it in that way. And I meant for it from the beginning, I wanted it to be a character growth piece. So he starts out as sort of this people <laughs> said a lot of in, in the beginning, people uh, compared it to like Charles Bukowski and I suppose in a way mm -hmm. it was very much like that character. But unlike Charles Bukowski, I knew Luke was going to grow and learn and hopefully progress towards a better version of himself, which I think he has. And yeah. so it's just it's sort of that idea of a long term growth of a character. And then so Mr. Butterchips started out as an homage to underground comics. And that was essentially the only idea I had for it. Something along the lines of Fritz the Cat or you know, one of those 60s or 70s underground strips. And then the yeah. election of 2016 happened 
And I took a hard left into sort of political and social commentary. It just ended up being the perfect sort of vessel for that. So the majority of the last three years have been either, you know, editorial or commentary with with the monkey. Yeah, both of them are feeding into our social narrative that we have going on right now, which has been pretty complex and sometimes frustrating for all of us. And the way that decades of inexperience plays out, you're almost, you're rooting for this character and he's got, you know, of course he has his falls and stuff like that. I was just reading the current ones where, you know, he's having to move back in with the folks and stuff like that. And we've all experienced those moments where we're like, ah, will I succeed past this? We don't right. know. So we're kind of, we're, we're living life with him. And then with Mr. Butterchips, the way you, you talk about it, you speak in underground comics, it's totally that. And it, now when you're, it's almost like, your raunchy older cousin kind of telling you, like yelling at you, like, this is how the world works. And you're like, yeah, no, duh, it does. Well, I'm not thinking this way. Right. So it's it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> it's uh, just a joy. Get off your lawn and at the same time, giving them some life advice, hopefully, as well. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, it's pretty great. I like those moments where uh, with Mr. Butterchips, like, he, yeah, he's yelling the truth at you. And then at the end, he's like, keep it up, kid. <laughs> it's like, okay, sure. Right. It's, <laughs> it's great. It's the sort of angry lecture with the big, hug at the end <laughs> yeah. a little bit more you know of a comfort at the end but yeah you know it's been a great vessel for me like I said because if I was just if I was trying to do that with decades of an experience or something else that had a human character I always feel like that may not be received as well because mm -hmm. nobody really wants to hear about those things especially when they're trying to be entertained and I completely understand that but when you're doing it through the guise of a crotchety old monkey I think it's still entertaining and you know, enjoyable yes. enough that the message can still be received without it being too invasive. Yeah. And I think it's funny because I'm thinking also back to the paneling and how both of them interact with their paneling and the, and the page layouts and stuff like that, which we'll get into later on. But even the human aspect versus how uh, Mr. Butterchips works within the comic book page is quite a bit different. And only Mr. Butterchips could do what he does. So it really works out pretty great. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, you know, I was in the beginning when I was getting back into illustrating sort of in the early aughts as they say uh, 2005 to about 2012 2013 I imagined myself to be the next great comic book illustrator which was <laughs> absolutely uh, a weird aspiration but what I was doing was being very quote-unquote creative um, and, and fancy. The problem with that is it ends up muddling the storytelling and, and, you know, can convolute things that you're trying to tell with the picture. So with Decades and Mr. Butterchips, it's a little bit more of straightforward paneling, but the angles are switched up and, you know, things are um, different enough, varied enough that I think it's still, yeah. you know, decent to look at. Yeah. All right, so let's let's talk a little bit about yourself, and then we'll go ahead and follow up with your comic books. What kind of inspirations or ideas inspired your current projects? Where did you come up with the idea for for decades or for Mister Butterchips? Uh, decades of experience again was just I was reading a lot of either thinly veiled memoir or autobio stuff, and there was a lot of comics that were coming out at the time that were exploring those specific categories and genres. And mm -hmm. I had for a long time tried to insert myself into more of a fantasy or supernatural realm because I love things like Mike Mignola's Hellboy. 
and fancied myself like a dime store Mike Mignola. Uh, (laughs) But the truth was the stories that I wanted to tell were more based in humanity and just the, the human condition and things that we all go through. And I know that sounds very, you know, vague or, or maybe pretentious in a way, but those were the things that interested me were, were more about people right. and, and what we all go through. So decades was certainly a way for me to express that. And not even with the intention of necessarily relating to people, but I think things that we all experience are relatable regardless, you know, whether it's to five people or 5 million people. So again, it was a way for me to sort of exercise some demons and hold myself accountable in ways that I didn't otherwise. And again, that sort of morphed into that from the initial idea, but it's been a really rewarding thing for me to do. And Mr. Butterships was just something fun to do where I could talk about drugs and sex and things like that indiscriminately. But again, that took a hard left as well, which has been a good stress relief to to some degree. And, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's good for my anger management to have an outlet like that (laughs) where you can sort of scream at the audience. And if people want to join in, that's great. And so that, that was more of where Mr. Butterships came from. It wasn't even necessarily that prefabricated, it, you know, aside from the whole underground comics thing, it, it just really organically morphed into the um, social and political commentary zone that it inhabits now. As I revisit these interviews, it's fascinating to me how much these creators have adapted and changed over the time. Alex, in this interview, you hear him almost unsure about his work or something like that. Like he's realizing that he's having to shift towards politics with um, with Mr. Butterchips and knowing him now through, you know, social media and keeping up on his work and, and still an avid reader of his work, seeing that he's embraced it and has found an audience there that agree with him and find solace in his work is just it's just neat to see that that actually worked out here in this interview. You hear you're hearing him recognizing that he's making that move and now knowing that not only did he make that move, but it worked out very well for him. Uh, decades of an experience, by the way, it, it, it completed uh, maybe a year after this interview, uh, I think at a hundred issues, but please go check it out. Uh, it does a really good job of just kind of telling the Everman tale. And in my opinion, one that uh, is very identifiable. He has his struggles and they're there for, they're something he deals with every day. And, and it's just, you know, we all know people who who have these struggles as well. So I really feel like both these comic books are very good and the work he's currently working on. So it's all worth checking out. Next, we're going to be bringing in Squeaks' interview with Bitsy. Bitsy is a manga artist uh, who makes Maiden in Disguise. It, she started off making this manga that is a really cool story about a gamer who's a very famous uh, personality in an MMORPG but then has to like come out to the world who her character is and how much she identifies through her avatar. And in a modern world of avatars, Instagram profiles, gaming, it's very relatable in that way. Like, for example, my character in World of Warcraft, Taff, has become a second identity for me. A lot of people know me only as Taff. And it's odd balancing that and try to explain that to a different generation. They don't quite understand what that means. Uh, but this comic book really embraces that and it kind of expands on that. Since then, Bitsy has taken Maiden in Disguise and built an entire world with it. 
There's an interactive map with his, on his, her beautiful website. She has multiple spinoffs. She's her own publishing company now. We've had her on multiple interviews. And so it's just been so cool to see how she's like, yeah, that's a cool idea. Let's build a world around it. <laughs> she really did it. And so it's just, it's just so neat. Uh, now, we have uh, Squeaks doing this interview. This is one of his first, if not his first interview. Uh, this was back when we were first launched Geek Freaks interviews, the sideshow. And we used to call it Push to Talk. Um, we were trying to think of a cool name that wasn't. And then when Squeaks was like, I just can't really do this. I'm like, I think I enjoy interviewing people, but I wanted to have the Geek Freaks name because why not? You know, <laughs> so uh, we're going to have Squeaks in on this one. And this is Bitsy. We're going to have the links for everybody in the description so you can find their them on Twitter or their work. Um, make sure you follow, follow up on Maiden in Disguise. It's a really cool manga. Uh, so I usually just say I'm like a manga cop, but mostly okay. uh, I'm a story creator and the comic stuff just kind of came along out of the sidelines. <laughs> got it. Got it. Well, we, we really appreciate you reaching out to us. Um, um, so why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself before we get into uh, the reason really why you're here uh, when we talk about your new story, new story, right? It just... So, so it's a relaunch of the original comic that I started in 2014. And uh, last year, uh, we decided that, you know, we had extra time on our hands and we went through the whole thing and just ripped it down to the bones and built it back up and completely redid it and made it the story it deserved to be. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So why don't you uh, tell us a little about yourself, where you live, where you're from, what's your hobbies, what's your, I don't know, favorite food, color, anything. All <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, I grew up in Washington State, kind of, and moved around a lot. And um, I currently live in Japan, so that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. And I moved here with my husband uh, almost two years ago now from Oregon. Wow. To Japan, and he teaches English. At the local high school, it's a teeny tiny little, little tiny little town, way out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How how is living in Japan? I think that's one. I think it's amazing that you just kind of picked up and moved to a whole different country. That's that's got to be, I mean, a shocker. Anyway, is this your first time being in Japan? Have you visited before? Well, we came once for my birthday slash belated honeymoon a couple mm. years ago and then we applied to get on this jet program once and it didn't go through and then we applied the next year and we're able to get in and uh it was really scary because they don't tell you where they're gonna put you they're just like you got in uh -huh. we'll let you know like a week before mm. where you're gonna be so you can maybe google something if there's oh, okay <laughs> So, so yeah, I had a I had a brother that uh, visited Japan, and he says he loves it a lot. And I know that's definitely on my um on my uh bucket list. I would love to go with one of our hosts because he's a big fan of everything manga as well. Which um, I have the pleasure of interviewing someone that actually creates manga. And obviously, you could tell, like in my background, if you're looking at my video with my whole Sailor Moon mm -hmm. and Naruto <laughs> setup going on. So, um, it was a one. It was a pleasure. Thank you for letting us read that. Uh, I want to say that first of all. Sorry if I said this wrong. A CEO of Etor, I'm sorry. <laughs> Eotera. Gosh, I was saying it like perfectly, <laughs> like swear, like an hour ago, and now I'm messing it up. It's probably stage fright. So, <laughs> so, so can you explain a little bit about that and um and how that's going for you so far? Yeah. So Eotera Entertainment is the 
place where we're going to start moving all of our creative efforts. And EOTERRA is the planet that we built together to make uh, all of our stories on. So I've okay. never liked Alter Earth stuff. Like it just kind of felt, you know, too, like there were too many borders, boxes, mm -hmm. like too, too much that you had to like adhere to. Like if you're on an alternate Earth, there's stuff already set up and I didn't want that. I wanted a clean slate, right. a brand new planet. So I started building this planet back in 2012, and uh, it's just kind of slowly been building. And we did our first Kickstarter, uh, ooh, was it 2018, to produce the visitor's guide to the planet to really set in line some world building so that we could then transition to telling Maiden in Disguise, a dirigible flight of the Dacronaut. Um, we've got quite a few titles that is, are going to take place on EOTERRA. So it just made okay. sense to make that the center of everything we do. Okay. And then, um, so, so it's this world that you created that you wanted all your stories involved. And so besides Madam in disguise, uh, maiden in disguise, sorry. Um, have you, do you already have stories, uh, published before this or, and what are already in this universe or is this the start of it? So the only ones that are actually published are the old version of Maiden in Disguise. Got and it, like it. I said, we're relaunching to Maiden yes. in Disguise new game. So it's the same story, just done much more professionally because it was my okay. first attempt. So I've had, I have a bunch of titles that have a lot of written content, but I'm no novelist. <laughs> I'm very, yeah, I'm dyslexic. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, I can't sit there and like write something out. But I kind of write like screenplay style. And so I'll do that. And then um, I was like, I got to make this a thing. So I started learning how to draw and Maiden in Disguise was my first attempt to do a comic of any sort. Uh, now I want to, you know, I thought by this time I'd be on to my next project, yeah. which is yeah, still yeah. <laughs> not happening. No, for sure. So we're doing we're redoing it. That's okay. It's turning out amazing. It's been really fulfilling to see something that I've had in my head look a certain way, but it just never lived up to that. And now it's like, wow, this is this yeah. is what it was always supposed to be. Yeah, so. yeah. Very mm -hmm. good. Shoot. Um. So, uh, speaking of when you were talking about the art, um, what are you, <clears throat> out of curiosity, what are you? Because I'm used to just pencil and pen on paper. What are you using? Because I noticed on some of the the colors are. I don't know. I kind of like how you, the tones, like, uh, the main character, uh, I'm going to mess up these names, by the way. Sorry. Uh, F Efren or F, how do you say that character's name? So, um, the girl is yes, Eliana yes. or Ellie yes. and the boy is Elrond. Elrin, so Elrin. think like Elrond, but Elrin. Okay. Yeah. So I like kind of like the grays on him. So what are you, what are you using for the art on this? Um, what do you, what's your, so program? I, I use clip studio paint. I've been using that since it was not popular. I got it for 50 bucks and now it's like $300. Oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and a Wacom tablet. So, um, well, that's just for my, mostly for my personal information, really. <laughs> so I was just kind of curious. It's all good. But what you, what you said about the colors is I do try and do like those vibrant colors mm -hmm. mixed with like vivid pastels because I, I just don't like muted colors yeah. for some reason. Yes. So I always kind of, so bright and shiny. <laughs> yes, no, I think I definitely noticed that in uh, some of the uh, characters' colors, um, especially Ellie. And then, uh, well, I mean, we'll talk about the story in a second. But uh, <laughs> um, okay. so, how long how long have you been doing this? Um, 
overall, like everything you've been trying to do to actually get to where you are right now? Well, I would say it all started in 2012. So at that point, it was just a pencil and some written ideas and some really bad, like, like boxy character concepts. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. Um, But that was like, I just kind of started doing it as a side thing when my my cousin came over and we just kind of started building Eoterra and making characters. And uh, then he left and it just, I ne- it didn't stop. So like every day I would work on this project and I'm like, I'm not doing anything else with my time. I used to game a lot. I used to be really into World of Warcraft and <laughs> the Elder Scrolls series was like mm-hmm. my jam. And I just stopped everything I loved to do. And I would just go to my desk and I would draw and I would write and I'd figure this stuff out. So it kind of all started then in 2012 after I graduated high school. Both Squeaks and Bitsy have become much more confident with interviews over the years. I've had I've had the pleasure of interviewing Bitsy myself, uh, I think twice after this, and we have one more coming up later on uh, in a few months. And... Um, just once you once you kind of start talking to her, it, it becomes this conversation between two friends very quickly. And she's just really passionate and it's just infectious. And I love that. That's why it's so fun to talk to creators. Again, follow uh, Bitsy on all the social medias, Instagram specifically. It drives me crazy. She's she's sending all these pictures from Japan where it's like they go to the park and for some reason, Japanese parks are a million times better than American parks. Oh, oh, that thing's so beautiful. I want to be there. <laughs> it's just really cool to follow Bitsy. And of course, she shares her work and um, not only her, but her husband also works on some of the projects too. So you get to see both of them working in tandem. Very cool. Made in a disguise. Please check out Made in a Disguise. Next, we're going to be hearing from Nora K. This is one of my earliest non-comic book interviews and she's actually a director. So it, She's from the Czech Republic, and I remember very clearly, like, making sure to do, like, extra research in, you know, how do movies get made uh, in, like, this Polish culture in the Czech Republic and stuff like that. I did really did, like, extra work. Um, we actually even had a bit of a scheduling snafu because she was visiting in New York when her, uh, I deal with PR people when we're doing these interviews, right? So it's not like I'm actually getting a hold of Nora, or, or for the most part, usually I'm getting a hold of their PR person or they're getting a hold of me. Um, and the PR person didn't mention that, yeah, it's all remote recordings. So <laughs> poor Nora was expecting to meet me at a coffee shop in New York. And I'm like, well, I'm currently in California right now, so it's not going to happen. But we ended up getting it figured out with some good old uh, tech support really quick at the last minute. And it worked out quite well. Um, it, I, what I really liked about this interview is Nora went in it thinking it's just another interview. She didn't realize that I put in a lot of effort and watched her entire series. She has a superhero series. I watched the whole thing. And I did like super extra homework and stuff like that. And then once she saw the effort that I put in, she relaxed a lot more and then was excited to talk to me about her project. And it's like, boom, you know, awesomeness unlocked. And we ended up having a very good conversation after that. Nate, uh, Whisper Naked Shadow, can you go ahead and kind of run down what this is for us, this, this series? Yes. So it's a mystery sitcom, mystery com, what we call it. It's a short form series that focuses on five friends that deal with an unexpected mystery that happens in their lives. And we watch them kind of try and untangle it. That's yeah, that's exactly it. it they 
I'm just going to kind of put this out there. They wake up with, I want to say powers. Would you call them powers? Yes. So I do. I would call them kind of superpowers. And, but there are some people call it curse. I call it superpower. It depends how you look at it. Um, I've always, when I was writing this, because I'm the writer of it as well, uh, what I was inspired by was all these superhero movies. And I love that genre. And I'm a big fan of all superhero uh, things. And I always wondered, most of these um, powers that, that people have are super useful. You know, you can fly, you can read someone's mind, you can be invisible, you can throw things into gold. How come nobody ever has, or almost nobody ever has anything that's really annoying and makes your life difficult. So my uh, characters deal with powers that make their lives very difficult. Yeah, that is, that is for sure. That's true. Uh, okay. So before we go too much farther into uh, Whisper Naked Shadow, let's go ahead and talk to talk about you as a director. What made you pursue filmmaking or making a series? So I always, since I remember, since I was a child, I always uh, spent a lot of time uh, making up stories in my head. You know, writing or storytelling was something that I spent a lot of time on. And as I was growing up, I did less and less of it. And I actually uh, went to study law school first, and I became a lawyer for, for a while, for more than a decade. But I really missed that part of me that was creative and that was the storyteller. So about five or six years ago, I finally found the courage to quit law and go and take uh, some film classes and go to filmmaking and, um, you know, really pursue the passion for me. That's storytelling. Okay. Yeah. And it shows it shows the passion in this project. There's there's a lot of those times where you could tell that took a lot of effort, that took a lot of time. And that only comes from somebody who has a passion for this. Thank you. Okay, what inspired you as a as a director or a filmmaker? What what kind of projects out there have really, you were talking about superheroes? Is there any particular superhero that really inspired you? I mean, I am I, I I love pretty much everything. So I want to open up by saying that I'm the type of person that goes to see every week everything that's released in the cinema, and I've been doing that for the last ten years. Oh wow! So I've seen everything. I will even see uh, go and see bad movies because I just love movies so much that I just want to see everything that's being put out there. So um, I don't really have a particular one uh, superhero that I really love. I just love the genre and I love cinematography as a whole. Uh, from you know Martin Scorsese to Adam Sandler, I I love everything <laughs> across across all the genres. But I've always been uh, very inspired by Martin Scorsese and his filmmaking is amazing. And another director that I really admire is Wes Anderson because his magical storytelling is so creative and so original and so full of emotions. So I try to also put that in my storytelling, you know, creativity and emotions. Some of the whimsicalness out of Anderson's films you can kind of see in this as well. Just the moments, like, for example, like the montage moments, they kind of feel almost whimsical. And I can see that out of a Wes Anderson film as well. Oh, good. That's cool. Yeah, I like those moments as well. (laughs) What kind of roadblocks did you face when you were first starting out as a filmmaker? I guess the very first one was um, facing my own fears. You know, you have to um, you have to face a lot of obstacles, um, not getting the right people to work with, not getting funding. Uh, not feeling like you, uh, you're you good enough for something. And I was really inspired by one speech that Eva DuVernay actually gave, uh, I think about five or six years ago, when she said, 
that these days with all the technology that people have access to, there's really no reason not to tell stories. If you have a story, you have to go and just start making it. You don't wait for someone to empower you, to give you like a green light and blessing to tell you go and create. You just go out there and create. And I really felt inspired by this. And I started uh, making small projects, you know, for contests, for commercials, and then gradually worked myself up to try something bigger. Okay, that's great. So I think my own fear was the biggest obstacle I actually had to overcome. And that's a very good point is the fact that, I mean, we're, we live in such a great time where you just you go out there and make it and see what happens. That's, that's a great, great way to say it. But let's talk about uh, Whisper Naked Shadow now. Your characters were very interesting the way they played off each other. You could already feel the their dynamics off each other. It carries on through. Like I even think that their abilities are related to who they are as a person. Is that something that you wanted to put in? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes. That's great. So a couple of your characters, I would like to, if, if you don't mind, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody. I really want mm -hmm. them to go out there and check this out. But let's talk about a few of your characters. Uh, Robin, who has this whisper, is the whisper of the title. I, I think right. that would be his superhero name, essentially. Right. Um, <laughs> he can't talk too loud or he has like this like sonic boom. Right. How does that relate to him as a person? So uh, without giving too much away, right. uh, Robin yeah. is a person that always kind of struggled to stand up for himself, to find his voice. So now he is dealing with having to control his voice and face his voice and other people all of a sudden hear him even if he doesn't want to be heard. So that's something that he as a person um, has to face. Let's next talk about Anne or Sophia. And she has the naked abilities. How does that relate to her personality? So Sophia is someone that has been kind of, um, you know, focusing on the outside of herself and um, she likes to flirt a lot and she likes to use her body as a weapon almost in her life. And all of a sudden she's facing a situation where her body is always revealed to her powers that she's always naked. No matter what she does, everybody sees her as a naked woman. And all of a sudden she has to really start learning how to, you know, value herself more and value her body. I see. Yeah. Now, I'm wondering, and of course, you're the person to talk to about this. Is it more about her perception of herself or others' perception of her that's creating the situation? I think it's a combination of both, but it's more of how careless she has been with her own value. I see. Oh, okay. Wow. And then lastly, and honestly, my favorite character is Vicky, and she has this shadow going on with her. Can you explain how that is relating to her? I think this one is the one that I could like really want to explore more into. Oh, good. I, and I want to ask you first, what makes he, what makes it her, your favorite character? What about well, her is it that you like? I think, you know, she, I, I feel like she's hiding something and she's also, you mm -hmm. know, she has some, some symptoms that you, I think is the best way to say it. You're like, oh, okay, I recognize these symptoms and the shadow you're like, is that her persona or you, it's the mystery for me is most heavily on her. I really want to see what's going on. I want to learn mm -hmm. more about her. Okay, good. I'm glad that you're interested in her. She's um, a character that I also enjoy very much. Um, so she, Vicky is a very introverted person that has that has a lot of secrets, that has trouble maybe facing the world, uh, sharing herself with others. And she also has a little bit of self-destructive tendencies. Mm -hmm. So when her shadow comes alive, it comes alive 
uh, to actually try and harm her. And she has to realize that her, the biggest enemy in her life is herself. The attention to character that Nora has for her show, Whisper Naked Shadow, is vital. I don't care if you're making a video game, comic book, or you're making a television show like Whisper Naked Shadow. You can feel it. You can feel when the creators are creating characters that are believable, that feel like they actually breathe the same air as you. And that's exactly what's going on with Whisper Naked Shadows. It's, it's a really good series. It's not very long. came out in 2019. Uh, I think it's available on her site is where I got it from. Um, Go to imdb.com, though. You can follow the links there. Since this interview, Nor has gone on to direct a, a new show called Clearly Human that came out in tw uh, 2022, and she's currently working on a brand new series called Trace Me. Uh, that's in post-production, so hopefully we'll hear from it soon. Next is my interview with Jeff Haas. He is the writer of Melek Raining Devil. Uh, what I love about this interview, you're going to hear, and it's a really good interview and everything like that. Uh, I was one of those things, too, where I really made sure to bring in the artwork. Something that I think a lot of comic book interviewers are not paying attention to enough is what are they trying to express with their colors? That's all very much you know important. But this interview is maybe half an hour long. Me and Jeff talked for an additional three hours after this. Not recorded. So you're going to hear something. A budding friendship <laughs> in this because we talked for another three hours about podcasting about interviewing uh jeff actually has his own podcast where they interview people every single day he works has a team of interviewers and since this interview has gone on to start his own pr uh, firm and we deal with i deal with jeff uh, every week now uh, many of the interviews that you guys hear on this thing on uh geek freaks interviews is actually uh through jeff and his new pr firm so um He's an, he's just an amazing guy, and um, we work with Jeff a lot now, actually. So it's it's just funny to see here. This is our first interview where I didn't know who he was, and he actually got a hold of me through a different PR guy, the PR game, guys. I'm telling you, it's tempting to get involved with, I tell you. But let's go ahead and talk about uh, Malik Reigning Devil. It's a story about a dude out to kill Lucifer. <laughs> it's essentially that. It's an angel that's like uh, going to start killing everybody in hell. Let's talk to Jeff. Yeah, I've been writing um, for about eight or nine years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it kind of ages me up a bit, but eight or nine years now. And now, do you do your own artwork? Or are you just writing or, or how, how involved are you? Um, I am. I'm the writer, usually creator of most of my comics, sometimes co-creator, mm -hmm. um, sometimes just scripter. But at the moment, for the comic books that we'll be discussing, uh, creator slash writer. Okay. I wish I could be the artist, but I can't. <laughs> oh, well, and I was wondering that because they, they have this different art style. Um, so I was, I was interested in that. How, how involved are you with the art style? Are you going step by step? Or is it kind of like, here's my vision, and then they kind of check with you a few times, and then they run with it? Um, I, I go full script version, um, basically panel by panel. Um, I try my best to describe what I want to see. But I will say in most instances, the artist has full latitude to develop their own ideas and their own creation. And quite a few times they input something that I didn't think about. And I will say most artists have a very good uh, visual sense and they tend to make something better than I considered. But um, I usually go with script and then let the artist um, use their imagination to go from there. Yeah, sort of the benefit of, of working with others that, you know, you get that other perspective and you're like, oh, yeah, we could improve that way. So that's that's great that you're open to working. Exactly. With 
and, and, I, and I really think artists are just inherently better visually than mm-hmm. a writer tends to be and better with their style as well. I mean, they know this is what I do better. I, this is my best. Um, I'm better at this angle or this style. And you can just, you know, some speak, you know, the best they yeah. can. Yeah. And, and they'll, they'll interpret the work and stuff like that and give their own look. And um, I'm excited. We'll talk about those soon. But we'll, I'm excited to talk about the two comic books you brought with us today. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. But let's talk about you first. Uh, okay. We're, we're the two comic books we're working on, or we're looking at today, we have Malik. Is that how I'm saying that right? Right, Malik, yeah, Raining Devil? Uh, Malik, Raining Devil, exactly. Okay. And then another word, actually, I want to get real quick before we go too much farther is his title is, is it Mashit? Yeah, it, um, Mashit. Yep. Yeah, how Mashit? He, the Destroying Angel. Exactly. Okay. That is a very cool title. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then the other work we're, we're talking about is Santa Claus. Um, it is not the Santa Claus you're anticipating. So just get no, the heads up on that. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> uh, where did the idea, the inspiration for these two projects come from? All right. Um, I think the best one I'll start with is Santa Claus. Because Santa Claus, is, though it came out much later than uh, Malik did, it actually was the idea that has been around first. Um, the idea for Santa Claus is probably about seven or eight years old. Uh, it came from, ever seen Nightmare Before Christmas? Oh, yeah. The, the, the scene where he's trying to describe Santa Claus, he's like, Sandy Claus. I was like, yeah. son of a bitch, that's a style. That's a, that's a title right there. I'm making yeah. a character. That's the character. And that's kind of where he came from. So um, I, I had nod to the people, uh, Tim Burton and the, and the people behind uh, Night Before Christmas. But yeah, I, uh, I, I guess I got ripped off a, a style of a name, I guess. Inspired. Um, that's the word. Inspired, inspired by yes. it. <laughs> An homage to a great idea. Yeah. Um, for Malik Running Devil, basically, I, I answered an ad from One Two Three Go Publishing. Uh, Phoebe Xavier was um, was the one who owns the company, and she was looking for a eight page uh, backup story for their uh, anthology series called uh, Gunmetal Black Ops. Mm-hmm. And it could be any story you wanted, as long as it had to do with guns. Um, and I was like, well, I thought about it for a little while and decided, well, an angel with guns is a gun, so. And I and I kind of started. I kind of came with the backstory, like what he's going to do with this gun. What can I say in eight pages that will say everything I want to say and all my ideas? So I kicked the idea around for about forty-eight hours, and I came up with uh, Malik and uh, his backup story. Are those eight pages in the the first issue? Uh, no, there there's there's a preview in the inside front cover of what those um, pages were about. Basically, in a nutshell, it was um, Malik being assigned by God to kill lucifer in hell oh so prequel to it yes so basically to kill lucifer he had to give up his um divinity um had to give up his wings um and basically do something so horrible that would cost cause him to end up in hell which was killing a brother angel um uh, without cause he basically sort of went behind one of, one of the fellow angels that was assigned to him to kill killed him um behind the, behind his back immediately went to hell Wings burned off. He was damned to hell forever for doing that, which is what leads into Malik Raining Devil. Okay. We're going to dive into those stories soon. Um, but is it is interesting to see that because when you're reading the first issue of, of Malik, you you learn the by context clues what had happened, but it'd be nice to kind of, it's good to yeah. see like, oh, this is where it started. Okay. That's good. Exactly. Th- th- there's some plan later on to try to do, uh, once the six issues are done for Malik and a couple of the uh, minis are done as well, to publish it as one big um uh, one big comic book uh, trade and you'd have the eight pages that technically are important to the story that is kind of missing <laughs> from the first issue. 
Well, you pick it up and it's always nice to have that kind of like mystery of like, why is he here? What is what right. is his mission and picking it up that way? So it works well. Um, are these your first two comics? What comics have you worked on before this? All right. Um, before this, I worked on a 42 miniseries called Night- The Nightmare Patrol. Uh, I wrote that actually with my father, uh, Bruce Haas. Um, it's about uh, four monsters, uh, him or horror monsters, a werewolf, a golem, a witch, um, and a vampire that are brought together by the government uh, to stop an even worse evil. Um, I wrote a, a graphic, uh, well, it was a, um, I guess a graphic novel, uh, volume one of a comic book called Sanctus about a, um, a plague um, and a necromantic pope. And it's a whole, it's a very complicated story that uh, yeah. I wrote for um, Arcana back in the day that I'm still trying to get the second volume done, but it's, you know, expensive as writer's life tends to be. And then I wrote a few comic books for a company called Crystal Fractals. Uh, one was called Entropy and another was called Dr. Twilight. And then there's been a few other anthology stuff here and there. So I'm getting the vibe of of these, you know, kind of like almost heavy metal stories yes. throughout your your past. Uh, anything from your past work that's influenced these two? Um, you know what? It, it, it probably would be. I, I probably the guy probably would be insulted if I said this was the connect. It was kind of to something like his great work. Neil Gaiman Salmon is a comic book series I love. I mean, it's so far yeah. advanced of what I'm doing, so I feel almost insulted saying he influenced me. He might be like son of a bitch, though he didn't. But um, something. Like, um, it's the series Lucifer by Mike Carey, and before that, The yeah. Sandman by Neil Gaiman was influenced in, in a very real way to the style of Malik. And if you read um, some of the issues around um, with when Lucifer appeared around uh, issue twenty or so, um, mm-hmm. I think can't remember the name of that. It's a season of Mist. You get some idea of what I was thinking about. Um, Santa Claus is more of every Christmas movie I've ever seen, and thought to myself. This is wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where did all these elves come from? <laughs> yeah. just, that's one question you should be asking yourself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's funny you bring up Sandman. I actually, uh, one of the scenes where um, I think it's, it's like Constantine is there. Lucifer is there. A few, a few yep. of the heavy hitters. And they're talking uh, uh, to the soldiers of hell. Essentially. There's a panel where they're attacking the gate of, I want to say his name is Oz or Oz. Does that sound yes. familiar? Yes. That scene, I was like, this feels much like that. You know, it feels like <laughs> yes. the armies of hell are at your door. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm sure like every good writer has been influenced by stories that I can't remember that I have read, but I know that they're there somewhere back in my head. Right. I mean, I can, I, I can obviously give nods to Dante's Inferno, a divine comedy that um, inspires well the soil and some sense of the different levels and circles of hell. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure there's many other uh, Paradise Lost is probably another one as well. The novel um, as John Milton, but I'm sure a lot of it comes from just those. Everything you read and watch in your lifetime as a writer has yeah. a little nugget back in the, your brain that you just accessed, it and you probably don't even know that you did, but mm-hmm. it's there on the page somewhere for someone who probably may know it. They they form who you are as a creator and a person, so exactly. it's understandable that you know the interests that you grew up with, that you've listened to, that have you know gravitated you towards this career are going to influence your work and that's how it is for everybody you know exactly you know um so say you're somebody who's wanting to start a comic book and they're looking at jeff like hey jeff how do i do what you do what would you say is your your initial steps into becoming a comic book creator find a lot of money (laughs) (laughs) right know somebody at dc or marvel (laughs) it's gonna be financially extremely expensive yeah Uh, unfortunately the reality is it's, it's sometimes it seems like the only person not making money on a project is the writer. <laughs> but in a real way, the best way to get started, um, first thing to do is read a lot. Um, don't, 
be beholden to one genre. Don't be beholden to one medium. Don't just read comic books. That's not enough. Read novels, short stories, um, plays, even if you don't think it's connected. Uh, Shakespeare. I mean, just anything you can get your hands on, read it. No matter what type of genre it is, it helps you. Everything you read helps you. Um, and then there's no good way to come up with a great idea, but try it. Think about what you want to say. There, there's got to be, everyone has a philosophy of their life. Everyone has some idea that they live their life by or something they want to say, something, a voice in which they want to speak it in, right? Mm-hmm. Figure out what that is and then think about the best way to say it within a story. It, it may be um, allegorically, it may be um, using um, you know, a lot of symbolism, whatever you want to do to try to translate that idea into an actual plot and story and character, but it's there. Think about it. It's, it's not going to be easy. It could be weeks, months, a year, almost years thing of trying to break the right idea, but take the time, do it until something hits you and say, I have to tell this story. When you get to that point, sit down, start writing. Man, it is really good to hear these conversations again with some of these creators that I have created friendships with. Uh, Jeff is definitely one of them. Uh, I get his emails all the time. Then, hey, buddy, how's it going? Do you want to talk to this person who makes this comic? I'm like, what kind of comic is it? Oh, it's an amazing comic about a Western. I'm in. (laughs) And so uh, just to hear this original conversation, our very first time we talked, recorded, it's just fun to hear. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and, of course, include the link to purchase uh, Raining Devil for you guys, Melek Raining Devil. Uh, but also make sure to follow Jeff and his podcast. Everything, I'll, I'll make sure it's all linked below. But um, he's actually an English teacher by day. And the side gig is this brand new PR firm. He's he's fired up. Uh, he's got a lot of people. Uh, Laura Calgata, uh, Calcetta, that I actually talked to, I think two weeks ago, whatever, uh, the interview for that, she originally was introduced to me through Jeff. So a couple of the creators that you guys know uh, from our show, I've met through Jeff. He's just, he's a really cool stand-up dude. And um, as you can hear, he knows what he's talking about. Our next interview is going to be with Ty Abbott. Ty is one of the smartest young gentlemen I've ever spoken with. He's a developer of RD Mars. He has more work coming very soon. I'm going to be streaming his demo soon so you guys can check that out. We'll talk about that later on. Though. I don't want to spoil that here. But yes, um, Ty Again, he's just such a crackpot kid. He's so, so smart. And he's got these drawings. Sometimes he shows pictures of him next to him. And it just reminds me of my life with all my post-it notes that I got surrounding me. And uh, the way he talks about this very, what looks like a simple game at first glance, and how there's moments and storytelling beats and stuff like that that you have to convey with very little graphics, it shows the kind of... uh, uh, I think modern day indie game development that uh, makes indie game better than uh, some AAA titles in a lot of ways. Uh, the the famed scene in RD Mars is this one where you're playing as a little robot, but when you pass across a mirror, you see the human who you, well, I'm not going to spoil too much out of it, but you see a human in there. RD Mars was such a fun game to play. We actually streamed the game itself. And uh, then of course was able to talk to Ty about the game. We also were able to give every one of our, uh, patrons a free copy of the game so they all got access to to Ty's to game as well and um, since then we've had Ty Abbott on bef- again to talk about you know the the process of getting on Steam and, and how do you take a game from project to 
income. And that was a very interesting conversation as well. You could find that in our many analogs. A lot of these creators we talked to, we bring back on to like kind of get updates on like Bitsy, like Ty and like the next person we're going to be talking to after this, after Ty. Um, but yes, Ty has another project coming up. And I'm telling you guys, talk about storytelling beats. Talk about innovation. It is next level. I can't wait to reveal that, but that will be something later on we'll talk about. If I don't interview him, I'm at least going to review the, sh the game uh, just so you guys could see this. But anyways, let's go ahead and get in on this conversation with Ty Abbott, developer of RD Mars. I'm doing fantastic. I'm very happy to be here. That's great. Uh, Ty is the developer for a couple great games here. We got, we're talking about Lucid Parables of the Ubermensch, great name, and RD Mars. Uh, those watching our stream were able to catch me playing some RD Mars uh, on Monday. And eventually I got decent at the game, but it took a sec. <laughs> it took a little bit for me to get there. You can tell the soul's inspirations there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so before we go too far, can you go ahead and break down uh, RD Mars is our, our one we're going to really focus on today, but can you break down what's the uh, what that game is like? RD Mars, in a large part, is kind of a response to what I did with Lucid. I, as a developer, I tend to notice that my next project is very much inspired by the, my feelings of dissatisfaction with my previous project. Mm -hmm. Lucid, I think, was successful on many ends. I think it was mechanical interesting i think it had it played with some interesting ideas uh I'm, I'm not sure if you know too much about nietzschean philosophy but i tried to play with that while bringing in some of my own personal opinions about the nature of individualism mm -hmm. but i will say that on a large level a lot of the symbolism was lost on a larger audience because uh there was a lack of written narrative there and that's that's a failure, I think, of a lot of higher art, that it doesn't have that lower level for a audience to engage with. So I decided I was going to take a crack at trying to do some script writing in Artie Mars. Um, if you've played it, there is a lot of writing that went into it. A lot yeah. of attention went into there to try to fill in those lower gaps of a, a cohesive narrative to build a wider world where you can engage with those topics. Right. Uh, yeah, you actually did a really great job there with with the writing in R.D. Mars. Uh, I was sitting there voice acting the lines, trying to go between different characters and stuff like that. Um, and and there's definitely some unique voices coming through. Uh, you really start to realize different characters and and identity is a really big deal in this game. Uh, mm -hmm. There's one moment that I, I really liked in particular where you are R.D. Mars and you pass the mirror and you see, of course, you know, a different reflection, which was I can't go a back and forth like, like that one. That's it was a, a cool pain in the ass to get working. I bet. Like, uh, <laughs> it, it isn't actually a mirror. It's uh, if you go off screen, you'll eventually see a little disembodied head of Felix if you can use wall clips. But mm -hmm. I thank you very much. I did like that as well. <laughs> that was great. Um, okay, so let's talk about you as a developer. How long have you been working on video games? Um, I'm actually fairly new to this. I've been doing it for about two years. Mm -hmm. I. Uh, uh, thankfully, due to my circumstances, I have been very dedicated to that over the past two years. Uh, I've been I've been trying to. I, I could, I'm not sure if I could give an exact hour amount per day, but I have about a thousand five hundred hours. No, mm -hmm. uh, that that's just for Lucid in a previous project. Mm -hmm. Lucid took about one thousand one hundred hours 
Firemacop, an older project, which I'm not too proud of now. It took about 900. And RD Mars right now is coming up on 400. So okay. I've been working. I've been doing a lot. You can see this little poster board over here. There's been a lot of notes written. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. So it, it takes a lot to develop a game. And you're doing this all by yourself, correct? Uh, yes. I. Um, the, the only thing that I haven't personally had entirely done by me is music. I'm not a great compositionist. So all that has been open source Creative Commons music, which I'm very thankful to the community for. But yeah, art, story writing, coding, that's all, uh, that's all been my work. In the process, is there anything in particular that you really gravitated toward? Have you found that you like the writing part more or the coding part? Uh, that's, a, that's an interesting question because there's certain aspects of certain things that I appreciate more. See, like a, a coder would probably look at my code and be disgusted because I'm not <laughs> a very good programmer. Uh, like, likewise, my art, while I think it's aesthetically pleasing, is probably not, you know, it's, it's simplistic by design because I don't have the technical ability for higher level stuff. What I find is the most is my highest skill set, though, is that of being a designer. I think that where I find my stride is getting those cohesive pieces together. And in particular, being a designer, what I try to think of myself as while not exactly, is trying to do some avant-garde stuff. Because in the indie scene, we have lower budgets, lower, you know, lower uh, risk taken with assuming financial risk. So I decide, well, hey, you know, in this scope, we have a potential to do something really interesting and do stuff new. Not all of, all of it succeeds, but, you know, taking that chance. Yeah, and, and it's your chance to really tell your story. Uh, what story did you want to tell through your games? What motivated you to tell these stories? No, that, that's something that I struggle with. And I'm not sure if I have a cohesive answer for, for all of art, but at least for me, I gravitate to a few different concepts that I pull at. The main, the main one is individualism. I find that very compelling. Uh, you know, it, it ties into some larger societal criticisms, which might be out of the scope of this. But in the core of a lot of the art I say, a lot of the art I make, I try to tap into themes and encouraging an audience to examine larger society and try to break away from it on some level. Uh, more, so, more so in a wider scope, because individualism isn't the only thing I like to talk about. I try to, I try to communicate things through metaphor and to try to tap into the human condition. Yeah, video game is video games are slowly becoming more mainstream and people are starting to see it as an avenue to tell stories. Uh, is there any video game in particular that you enjoyed in the past that might have been motivating to you in this development? Yes. So um, for RD Mars in particular, I, I'll list two main inspirations. The first is Dark Souls, which you hear a lot of developers say they're inspired by Dark Souls. But yeah. when I mean that, uh, I, I tried to think of it more less so as like, you know, respawn points, like a lot of the surface level trappings of a Dark Souls clone, more so uh, a combat flow and a depth to their narrative. Like in RD Mars, like you'll see like the rotate function speeds up your player slightly. That was definitely inspired by the dodge roll in Dark Souls. I felt that was a satisfying mechanical loop. Uh, Story-wise, um, the thing I would say I would be most inspired by, I would source as the main inspiration for um, RD Mars, would definitely be Amori. Have you uh, played Amori? Have you seen it? Not yet, no. 
Okay, so a real brief overview. Amori is a um, narrative-focused JRPG that explores themes of guilt. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what it does brilliantly, it's just a slow boil game. It do, it's, uh, in a lot of ways, it's restrained, it's restrained in how it presents its story and tries to lead the player along a plot thread while slowly integrating them into the, this world to make the narrative points more thematically important. And it's, it's, a, it's a horror game. It's not particularly scary, but it's one of the most compelling stories I've ever heard. And uh, how it explored guilt was, um, was very inspirational to, in the development process of Artie Mars, in particular with the narrative, not so much with the gameplay. Okay. Uh, one of the themes that I that I was able to pick up in RD Mars is is uh, identities. One identity and what part do you take with you? Um, what from Lucid were you able to pull into RD Mars? So uh, I'll, I'll talk about one scene in particular here with RD Mars. I'm not sure if you uh, went to the exit ending. It's one of the doors on the left that you can choose to go through. I think I went through all of them. I'm pretty sure. Okay, and it's one scene where you see. Um, these this, the main character Mars. He's a little robot guy, has red eyes. And you walk through and you talk to uh, these degraded Marses, which are um, more. At least I try to communicate. It's kind of a small sprite, so it's not easy to show. But a more degraded mechanical Mars. And Mars, uh, his character arc isn't the most fleshed out in the main demo. It's more about Felix. And any anything that you know about Felix on some level informs you of the character of Mars, as people who play it will find out. Right. But Mars in particular, I want him to have a... His story will be... His character arc will be about assuming the identity of humanity. His, what I want his story to be more so than Felix's story of you know overcoming his past... Mars, I want to connect with his themes of uh, reclaiming his humanity, even though he is a robot. And, you know, that's the central thematic element of uh, Lucid. Now, remember the next time you're playing a game, how much effort goes into trying to express thoughts, theory, like much deeper questions than just yeah, my Fortnite skin is dope, yo. <laughs> you know? Here we got Ty over here that's trying to explain some high-level philosophy through his his games. And, and meanwhile, I'm like, yeah, but look at me. I'm Spider-Man with a lightsaber. <laughs> it's, it's amazing what kind of uh, developers we're working with out here, folks. My next interview is with Alan Dunford. Uh, this is the first of four, soon be yeah, three, soon be four, uh, with Alan. Uh, this one also uh, has Will. And I got to say, like, I love every one of my interviews. I have not done an interview where I walked away and thought, I wish I didn't do that interview. I always walk away learning something, enjoying the creative uh, passion and energy that comes from each creator. All of them are amazing. I can't necessarily say there's a favorite. But if I were to say there's a favorite, it's it's got to be Alan Dunford. Alan and I, we DM each other with like, hey, man, how's the book coming along? And he's messaging me back like, you know, hey, here's a shirt. <laughs> he sent shirts and stuff. Um, Alan is is a just complete stand up dude. And Will, too. Will is very. But I mean, Will is like so freaking busy. Like Will is 
acting in plays now too. So, so obviously they're very busy. They, their very first book is a book we featured a few times because I am an avid fan of their, their book, um, Hocus Hocus. And, uh, I've now given everybody copies. I've sent about friends. Everybody's reading them now. But anyways, um, I've even sent Alan like pictures of text. I've had friends that are like, Hey, I really like this book. I'm like, yeah, see Alan, look, people like it. Um, this is their very first book. And most comic book, comic book creators just can't believe how lucky this is, right? He, he struck gold immediately. It's kind of just crazy. And, uh, and the two of them are now working on a spinoff with the same team. They're bringing on Brad. They're bringing all these guys that you already worked with before to make the next book, Chainsaw Grandma. Grandma Chainsaw. Grandma Chainsaw, yeah. And uh, we're actually talking to them about that book this week on the next interview. On the, the next Geek Fixer interview is going to be with them again to talk about their whole new spinoff. A whole new, I'm sorry, not even spinoff. A whole new story. So you're going to be hearing from Alan uh, and Will, and then we're going to hear from them again about their new book in about a week or so. So you guys are going to hear from them again. Um, I hope you guys enjoy this. I truly love these guys. They've, they've, they've been really cool. Matter of fact, we hit it off so well in this interview. We talk about prestige. I don't know if I'll cut that part in, but um, the next interview, we're like, all right, let's talk about prestige in the next one. And we end up dedicating most of the episode to the movie prestige. That's how well this interview went. So <laughs> enjoy my conversation with Alan and Will. Uh, all right, so Alan Dunford and William, Will Redford, Radford, sorry, Radford, uh, you guys are the writers for Pocus Hocus. Uh, we got we to gotta get that, you know, big old bear out of the room first. This name, <laughs> who came up with the name for Pocus Hocus? I, I did. That was, <laughs> okay. that was all him. Yeah, that was, that was my <laughs> dumb idea. I don't think Will wants to take credit for something that ridiculous. <laughs> It, it it's eye catching. Let's let's go with that term. It's eye catching. Okay. Awesome, awesome. Well, it yeah. had the intended effect, but I was afraid it was going to have the opposite effect. Of what yeah. in the world are these guys that lazy? <laughs> they can't think of something else. Having a demon make fun of it in like page four helps a lot. Okay, okay good. <laughs> yeah. We're very self aware. Yeah. Try to be. Uh, all right. Who wants to do the quick synopsis on this thing? Give us a quick rundown of what we're looking at here. Well, go ahead and take it. Yeah, so Pocus Hocus is a uh, Faustian, we're going to call it a, a Faustian tale, an update on that, about a magician who uh, sells his soul um, for actual magic powers, uh, only to become really disenchanted by fame and, um, you know, fortune and that kind of thing. And so he sets out to, uh, he sets, he sets out to win back his soul. Reading that first book, I'm wondering, how how much does he desire his soul? He just seems to give it up pretty easily for fame. Is that something he's really trying to do, or is he just trying to get this demon off his back, as we see in kind of well, chapter I, two? Well, I think I would I would say, you know, uh, going into, well, I mean, for the first book, it, you know, I, I think that uh, I would say he gives up his soul because there's a specific thing in his personal life that he's right. really, really looking to uh, to to achieve. I'm, I'm trying to avoid spoilers a little bit. Of course, of course. But, uh, yeah. It's it uh, it pertains to some some family related things in his personal life. So that's that's a big that's a big reason for it as as opposed to just the the fame. Yeah, and, and then as you know, you know, reading in the the story, you know, not not everything's cracked how it's cracked up to be. So you know, that's when he decides really this just isn't worth it anymore. You know, right. I don't have purpose. Yeah, right. Uh, a magic-based hero, right? We're looking at Pocus Hocus is the hero of this story. Magic-based heroes are kind of unique. They're growing in fame if you're looking at Marvel and stuff like that. But 
what inspired you guys to go with a magic-based uh, story? I, I think the, the big thing for us was because the, it's funny, the original idea for this, are you familiar with the, the comic uh, Ice Cream Man? I'm not, no. Okay, so it's, it's just... Not yet. Yeah, well, it's just an episodic thing. It's kind of like Twilight Zone. Each comic is its own standalone, just weird story. That was actually the original idea for this. And the, the original idea I had, it was just called The Magician. And it was just about this, nice. this kind of evil magician that, that pulls people on stage, unsuspecting to them, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, we just kind of have a scary story that way. But then it right. slowly devolved with Will and I d- developing the story to actually have him, well, what if he sells the soul because he's such a hack and lazy and he doesn't want to learn magic? What if he just has real powers and just doesn't tell anybody? And that's how, it does. Yeah. That's how he's the best magician in the world because he's, you know, secretly hardcore. So yeah. Looking back at the dialogue, that that laziness kind of comes through where he's just like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Here's my soul. Yeah. Give me the ability to fly. <laughs> yeah, he, he knows what he needs to do. That's the thing. Yeah. 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 And uh, I, I think to, I mean, as far as the, uh, kind of on a different um on a different slope here like with the the magic and uh the supernatural elements we're both a big we're both big fans of supernatural horror so um you know that's that's something that uh the more we talked about it and you know started like bouncing ideas off of each other the more we really uh like the, the imagination our, our imaginations kind of went went crazy and and uh you know it 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 was really one thing led to another here we are. <laughs> and now we're talking to yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. About a call, it's a good road then. Focus, focus. <laughs> yeah. So supernatural horror, you guys are fans of that. Was there anything in particular that really kind of inspired you on your journey? Uh, Will, he is uh, really good at this part. <laughs> so I'm just okay. going to take a back seat, sip some coffee, and I'll see you guys in a couple minutes. <laughs> yeah, I'll, 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 try to, I'll try to make it as brief as I can without nerding out too much. Uh, <laughs> I, okay, so I think that uh, Guillermo del Toro is, is you know, I mean, a big, big source of inspiration for this, um, you know, and the more, the, the farther we get, you know, go along with it, the more, the more I'm seeing that just the able to, you know, create your, create your own monsters, create your own world, world building, that kind of thing. But the seed of this, I think, and, and I mean, this is, this is my theory, I, I don't know if, uh, if, if Alan goes along with me as much on this, but uh, the seed of this, I think, is, I mean, it's Faustian, like Dr. Faustus, Christopher Marlowe, that kind of thing. There's there's something that's just so appealing on like a like just level about this idea of selling your soul and then regretting it. Um, that's just mm-hmm. embedded in human nature. And, and that story has been told in different ways throughout the years. And, uh, you know, I think this was kind of, we, we didn't, the first conversation we had, it didn't begin with, oh, let's let's do something Faustian or, or something that's related to Dr. Faustus. But I, I believe that that, you know, kind of subconsciously a lot of what, you know, a lot of what we did. So, um, you know, I, I think those, you know, those two things are big influence behind it. But uh, as far as like the supernatural element goes, um, you know, Guillermo del Toro all the way is a big one. And then I think we derived, you know, a lot. We both love the film The Prestige. Um, oh, my God. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, that, that's another one, by the way. I mean, I'll do a whole, you know, we will we'll, we'll do a whole episode. On yeah, that. just invite us to a podcast for The Prestige and you just sit back. <laughs> you I, don't have to do anything. I have a whole tirade defending the end of that film. But that's <laughs> that's a whole other 
that's a whole other thing. But like you guys, I just wrote down prestige. I'm not lying. Be careful because you might have gotten that second impact <laughs> okay. just now. Okay. I I could talk about prestige in that finale, in that ending. Yeah, we'll do all a freaking day. We'll do, we'll do a bonus <laughs> segment of just six hours of nonstop prestige. Talk. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd be up for that. But mm. but no, that's I think that's that's a big. Um, God, you know, and I of course now we have to be careful what we say about the prestige because of spoilers. But uh, let, let's just say supernatural. I mean, it all ties ties that ties into it as well. I think so. Prestige brings up a good point. Uh, it's really great mix of magic and science. Is there any sort of like science underneath anything here that we're seeing? Because so far from what I've read, I haven't seen any. Uh, but is that laying underneath? No. So I, I do want to say you know yes and no, right to an extent. Okay. Um, but what Will and I were, were trying to really accomplish, because we're both big fans of horror, we're also big fans of fantasy. So okay. we wanted to try to merge those two together, and we thought the best time period to do that in was a Victorian era, because it has that yeah. already nice Gothic feel. Yeah, I would, I would say not so much science, but I think that there is, um, based on, and a lot of this is Alan, too, there's, a, there's de- demon lore and demon mythology uh, kind of helps us when we're setting the ground rules of, of the, the world that we're building and that kind of thing. So maybe not quite science, but definitely there's some, there's some mythology there, I think, yeah. that, that influences it. So, Yeah. I was just thinking with Victorian, you have like so much of that new, new era of science yeah. stuff like that you see that in there. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that just like our, our set designs for what we chose for certain things, which we'll get into later, obviously, with our direction, how we went with everything. Um, yeah, because if you're looking at, uh, the, the lore you have, I mean, that, that boy, that opens up all kinds of things like a, an encyclopedia on demons and stuff like that. You can really kind of expand that out and stuff like that. It's a lot of fun. Uh, that's really, really cool. Um, where did you meet your, your rest of your team here? We have, uh, artist Brian Balondo, Balondo, I think. Yeah. Thank you. Balondo. Yep. Where did you meet? Where'd you meet, uh, uh, Brian? Okay. So all three of these guys, we were, um, actually introduced by another comic book creator friend of ours, uh, Mike Tina. He's, uh, he's put out some stuff and he's been, you know, he's been pretty successful in his early career. So, you know, I, I approached him, let him know that Will and I were working on a comic together. So then he put us in touch with these, with these awesome people that he's worked with before. So with, you know, with now too much of a pun intended, it was a match made in hell for all of us. <laughs> yeah. so it worked, it worked out. Not too much of a pun. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, now we're we're finding out a lot right now from from current comic books that are coming out. It's a lot of this distance, you know, communication stuff like that. Did you guys ever meet in person, or was it all over Zoom? Well, see, Brian actually lives in the Philippines, so oh wow, yeah, yeah that'll do. It. Impossible to meet him. Um, yeah. Well, right now, anyway, but yeah, so we're kind of scattered all throughout the country. Um, Will and I were fortunate enough; we went to high school together, so oh, yeah, go. we've been we've been close ever since then. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than just talking to everybody on a regular basis, that that's really about it. Okay. And how do you share ideas? Do you guys kind of pitch something like, Hey, I want a demon that looks like this. Brian comes up with a sketch and then you guys adjust over time. How do you guys communicate ideas? I, if you want to, want to oh, okay. it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Just, just real. I mean, I'll, I'll go real quick about that because I, I think when, when we're writing and, um, you know, going through that process, a lot of what we're focused on, we will describe certain things, you know, in the script for Brian, you know, for Brian to reference and that kind of thing. But we try to focus a lot on story, story structure, character development, and, you know, those, some of those fantastical elements, bringing all of that out. So then when we give it over to Brian and uh, uh, Jason and Dave, 
like a, a lot of that, we want to collaborate and be collaborative. So we basically, I mean, especially as far as Brian's concerned, we're like, Hey man, you know, go, go nuts, go wild. Yeah. So on your, on your last ish or your last episode, uh, Ryan brought up a good point. Um, he said that he's worked with different artists before. Some of them like direction. They, they want to be micromanaged. Some like the, the chain to be cut loose. Yeah. And then you trust them. They can do whatever. And that was our thing with Brian. And it's so strange, too, because, you know, we told him, and you, you've seen it, you know, we told him that we wanted a demon. He asked us what kind of demon we wanted. We said, we don't care. Just make some. Wow. Yeah. You know, we trusted his artwork that much because we, we had looked like we looked at a bunch of uh, a lot of different people. And, uh, you know, it, it came, you know, Brian came up and we were looking at, at, at his work and we were like, man, this this guy like. Yeah. So, and, that, and that's the <laughs> thing, is, too. This is crazy. Yeah, we mean. absolutely love the, uh, the freedom that we were able to give Brian because he also communicates really well, too. And he's open to criticism. Um, really professional. Yeah. Um, yeah. The only thing that we were concerned of with Brian at first was because he's. He illustrates very, very dark and brooding. Yeah. Which is awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know, but there's also a humor element and we didn't want that to get lost. But mm-hmm. Brian is such a professional and so good that now we're all in the smooth rhythm and he knows exactly what we're looking for. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. just great. Yeah. yeah. Alan and Will's work on Pocus Hocus is legendary in the local Geek Freaks uh, community. Um, all of these creators are amazing, as you've heard. But there's some that we we, we then share back and forth. Ty's game and 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 Jeff's uh, comic book. And of course, Pocus Hocus. And hey, did you see the, this really cool show out of the Czech Republic? And just like so many cool things, right? There are many more creators that I can't wait to, sh- to re-share with you, right, talk about. But uh, that's going to be it for this part. Uh, those that were not included this one were many of the like later episodes. These were uh, 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 greatest hits of first interviews, I think is the best way to do it. Some early interviews when I was still trying to figure out what the hell am I doing, right? So uh, that's what I wanted to share here. Some of my favorites from those early days and what I've learned and how these guys have progressed. Uh, speaking of progressing, Alan and Will, they now have, of course, their own uh, secondary comic book. They're with a bigger publisher. These guys have leveled up hardcore. Uh, again, I can't wait to have them on again. They'll be here, uh, I think, in a week and a half. So you guys will be hearing that soon. All right. That is it for us this week, guys. We will be back with more news, and we're going to be start doing top fives uh, for the rest of the month, all gearing up for Halloween. We even have a cool watch party in the works. Can't wait to share that with you guys. But for now, that is going to be it. Thank you guys very much for joining me, and I will see you guys very, very soon. Bye. Bye.